Amen. Praise the Lord. Have you found that to be true? He is my everything. Hallelujah. That uh, my rock in a weary land doesn't make sense to people. But when you've but when that rock that follows you turns into a fountain of water and a comfort in the middle of the desert, well, then all of a sudden starts to make a little bit of sense, right? And so the Lord works in ways that we just don't understand and we, we have trouble predicting and understanding and thinking about just doesn't make sense to the natural man. It's what Paul said, these things won't make sense to the carnal man. They're spiritually discerned. And uh, as long as we as long as we try to figure the Lord out with our intellect and our ability, we're going to be at a loss every time. But what we discover, the longer we walk with him, God is my everything. Hallelujah. Amen. He was He was known to Abraham as El Shaddai. The Almighty. There was a lot of things that that Abraham did not know that were not revealed to him about God's character. But what he discovered was God was mighty enough for every circumstance. He was the sufficient one. Amen? Now, we're used to flashy advertisements and and everybody trying to grab our attention, uh, whether it's whether you're in the grocery store or at Best Buy or you're listening to the radio or what, people have this idea that you've got some money and they want it, and so they make all kinds of claims to the point where, when we hear that something is sufficient, it seems underwhelming. <laughs> but when you stop and think about it. For a God to be enough, that's really what we need. I just need him to always be enough. What that means is, no matter the difficulty, no matter my circumstance, no matter where I find myself, God is enough. He is my everything. Amen. Why don't we worship him one more time tonight? Lord, so good to be in your presence and to feel your nearness. We're so thankful tonight for your people that we are gathered together in your house and you promised that you would meet with us here. We're so thankful, Lord, for what we feel in this place, for the assurance that we have, Lord, that you are sufficient. Amen. Amen, amen. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. We will read briefly and then I will allow you to be seated. Joshua 2. I'm going to continue in our little theme of teasing things out, gleaning things from the conquest, the conquest of Canaan. So I want to talk a little bit tonight about Joshua chapter 2. I'm just going to read first six or seven verses. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went, came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither 
tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. The woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. It came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And uh, we'll stop there and read more as we go through our time together this evening. One last time, why don't we offer thanks to the Lord for his word and invite his presence in tonight into our hearts and minds. Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, for your word that it has been preserved for us. It is for our comfort and it's for our strength. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and into our spirits and into our minds, O Lord, and that you would strengthen us for the battle that is ahead and that you would strengthen us by your word, Lord. It is the bread of life and we trust in you tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. We've been talking a little bit about this season of time in the life of the children of Israel, having come out of Egypt, been miraculously delivered by the hand and the power and the strength of the Lord, and uh, then finding themselves unbelieving and turned aside from God's perfect will. God's intention was for them to move directly from Egypt into the land that he had promised. But there was unbelief and they wandered for 40 years. And as we look into the book of Joshua, it is at the end of those 40 years and it's time for the, um, the ultimate entrance into this land of promise. And so what we discover as we begin to look at this is that it is, it is not unlike our own walk with the Lord in the sense especially that the Lord was with them as he is with us. They faced difficulties as we face difficulties. And the Lord brought victory as he brings victory to us. But just as we discover, they discovered that the Lord's victories didn't come in ways that they expected. It didn't come in places that they expected and that his strength for them was not maybe as they would have scripted it in their mind if they were writing the story. And so I have said, and I, we mentioned this previously when we were together talking about these things, if we look at a few of these various occurrences that happened during the conquest, I think the, the common theme, the thread that runs through all of these is that we're all learning to trust the Lord. There is, there is an educational process that takes place in learning to trust the Lord. Even in the New Testament, as they walked with the Lord in bodily form, and he fed the 5,000 from five loaves and two fishes, 
And then at the end of his day of ministry, he was weary. They got onto the boat. They found themselves in a storm. And it was not very long until they said, Master, do you not care that we perish? And you know, the Lord stood and said, peace be still. And all was taken care of. And the writer thought it worth mentioning that the reason for their fearfulness and their unbelief was because they had not considered the loaves and the fishes. They had been witnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty and his miraculous power just a few hours before. But as is common to us, we always seem to be able to muster the strength to say, but this is different. Maybe we should not be so quick and so strong to be saying this one is different. We would, we would walk through life with a lot more peace if we just realized the same God that did that in an unexpected way in that situation is able to work in this situation in an equally unexpected way. My problem is I usually want to tell the Lord how he ought to solve this. But I'm solving it based on the resources that I think if I had access to this and that, this is what I would do. But my, my view and my vision is so limited compared to what the Lord has at his disposal. And the Lord is, somebody said, the Lord's playing three or four dimensional chess while we're over here playing checkers. He's working all things out for our good. And not just for me, but he's working all those same things out for you and for you and for you and for everyone that believes the Lord, that trusts in him, that's called according to his purpose. He's working all of those things out for good. That boggles my mind when I think of the ways in which our lives are intertwined and the ways in which we come in contact with each other. And yet the Lord has promised that everything that happens is for all of our good. You stop and think about how that has to be, but that is what the Lord is doing and how he is working in our lives. And so we're all in this process of learning to trust the Lord. Now, what happens is as we, as we gain experience, we get, we get better at saying that we're trusting the Lord. We know what we're supposed to say. We know what, how we're supposed to act. But the real question is, is there peace in my heart? Am I really trusting the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about a lackadaisical attitude. I'm not talking about being disengaged. I'm talking about doing what we can do, doing what we know to do, and then really leaving the rest to the Lord. Amen. Somebody said that, you know, worry doesn't, doesn't rob, what is it? Doesn't rob today of its problems. It robs, or doesn't rob tomorrow of its problems. It robs today of its peace. Something along those lines. When we spend all of our mental energy thinking about what might be and what could be and all the various possibilities and what's good. You know what? We could put our minds at rest if we could ever grasp how profound Romans 8.28 is. 
There are all of these possibilities out there, but as one who believes the Lord, one who trusts in God, one who is born again, I am a child of God. All of, there are so many possibilities out there that are actually impossibilities because they would not be for my good and my father will not let that happen to me. Now that doesn't mean, again, that it's going to be as we expect. As with our earthly parents, there were some things that they knew were good for us that we were convinced were not. And so our heavenly father allows some things in our lives that are for our good, even though we would be convinced they are not. Nevertheless, I am able to trust and say, Lord, I believe that you are in control. You're the one who's taking care of this. And I'm going to live through this situation with peace and with trust towards you. In our reading tonight, it is a story that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. It was time for them to enter into the land of Canaan and Joshua sent spies into the land and um, he sent them for the purpose of understanding what was going on in that land and what they might be up against. Now, it's interesting to me, Joshua, I think, kind of learned a lesson from Moses. Moses sent 12 spies. That turned out to be kind of a fiasco because 10 of them didn't believe and they turned the hearts of the people. <laughs> so, so Joshua, and there's some indication here that he did it secretly. Verse 1 says he did it secretly. I don't know if that means he did it secretly from those in Jericho, certainly, but it's almost a hint that he didn't really make this widely known even among the Israelites. He just said he took two very trusted men and he sent them to figure out what was going on. And, and Joshua understood that, you know, there's some things you can't just trust to the whims of everybody and open up the emotional floodgates to know what everybody's thinking. There are some things you know the direction that needs to go and Joshua picked two trusted people and he sent those men into the land to spy out. He, I think, learned his lesson. Now, interestingly enough, Jericho, this walled city, and I'm sure that they, these two spies would have trouble blending in um, you know, they're going to, they're going to look like Hebrews and they're going to speak like Hebrews. Somehow they managed to get into the city. They, they observed, they did whatever the story doesn't, Joshua doesn't, the writer of the book of Joshua doesn't tell us all of the details other than to say that they came to uh, a harlot's house and they lodged there. Strange place for men of God to find themselves. But I suppose that, um, you know, maybe they could slip in and uh, nobody would really notice as a common thing for fellows to be going in and out of this house. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, kind, of a strange, it's kind of a strange situation. But, you know, the Lord has a way of bringing deliverance and victory in unlikely ways out of unlikely places. And when you, when you begin to look at this and you realize the condition of Rahab's heart and life as, as she comes in contact with these men, it seems clear to me that the Lord must have already been at work in her life and on her heart. It seems to me like this is a, a divine appointment for these men to come there and to find 
a sympathetic help, someone who would assist them, uh, their lives were in danger. Their lives were jeopardized because of what their business was. They were there to spy out the land. And so, sure enough, they, someone takes notice of them, and it was told the king, saying there were men that came in uh, tonight, and they've come here to search out the country. And so he sends people, as we read, he sends people to her house, and she says, um, well, first of all, she takes them up onto the roof, and she, it's as though she buries them. Now, you have to understand probably a little bit about the, uh, the way that the... Uh, these buildings were constructed flat roofs and they would um, if they were working with grains or flax or whatever they would have it stacked up on the roof for um, to be dried or whatever process they were working through so she immediately took them up onto this flat roof and she apparently she covered them and then she uh, she answers the doorbell (laughs) Oh, and she says, yes, there were men here, but I have no idea where they've gone. Now, you know, the Bible just tells things without necessarily approval. Uh, but we, we, So this is not saying that telling untruths is the right way to handle a situation. But, you know, if we found ourselves in a moral dilemma, if the Nazis were at the door and we had some Hebrews in the attic, what are we going to say? There is, there is, uh, I suppose, an academic argument that we should make that would say, well, we should trust the Lord to protect them. But I'm, I have to be honest tonight and say, I'm not sure I have that kind of faith. I'm not saying that what she did was right, but I have to have some sympathy for for what she was going through. She says, I, I don't know where they are, but she said, you know, I think what I saw was as it was getting late and it was about time to close the gates, they slipped out and they headed over toward, you know, Jordan. And I bet if you go after them, I bet you can catch them and out the door they went. And so the Lord had arranged this preservation for these spies so that they could get their information back to Joshua. But I don't think that's really the fullness of this story. It's not really a story about military adventure or military strategy or the importance of the information that they gathered. It actually seems like the Lord sent them there to rescue Rahab rather than to bring the important military information back to Joshua. As you get down to verse 8, verse 7, verse 8, and the men who were pursuing, they took off. She immediately goes to where the men are, the two spies. And she said to the men, verse 9, the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. She began to open herself and her uh, the state of her heart what she was thinking what everyone was thinking she was actually giving them some information that would be useful but notice what she's saying to them they came there feeling that their lives were in danger and they were sneaking around and they were looking for things and what she's telling them is we are all terribly afraid because we know you are coming and when you, we read these verses, what you discover is 
they've been fearing this for 40 years because there is still a generation inside Jericho that remembered the Red Sea and they remembered the early victories and they're sitting there wondering what is taking so long. (laughs) We can get so caught up in our own circumstances of life that we have a tendency sometimes to judge, we get intimidated, we judge books by their covers. We see things, we see circumstances on the job and in different places and we make judgments based on our emotions and what we feel and the vibes, if you will, that we get from different people and it's easy sometimes to be intimidated but you never know what's going on in their own hearts and in their own minds. There was a hunger and an openness with Rahab the harlot And in a way, the people were saying, what has taken you so long? Let's read these verses, starting with verse verse 9 and verse 10. We, all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you did come out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. This is a harlot in Jericho who did not know Deuteronomy 6.4. And yet she's saying to them, Jehovah, Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She had an understanding of where they were and she was communicating the fact that they were all afraid. And sometimes it's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that we just are too easily intimidated sometimes, I think. And if we're not careful, we tiptoe around certain things. I'm not talking about being ugly. I'm not talking about being arrogant. But there should be a confidence that comes from being a child of God that says, you know what? God has these situations under control. The Lord is taking care of it. This was all rooted in the unbelief that was rife within the nation of Israel and the fact that they wandered and they were so long delayed in making this step. It was all because of unbelief. If we allow a lack of belief to take root in us, we're going to miss victories that the Lord has for us. So we have to learn to trust the Lord. We have to learn to follow after the Lord. And when he says go, know that he will be with us and that he will go before us and that he is going to make a way. You remember, I'm sure, the story of Queen Esther. And she found herself as the queen with the king Ahasuerus. And as she was there in her royal role, there came to light that there was a plot against the nation, against the Hebrew people, against the Jewish people. And this was a plot that was intended to wipe out all of the, all of the Jews from that nation. And it came to light while she was in that role. And she mentioned it to her uncle, Mordecai. And he asked this famous question. He tells her, he says, you have, to, you have a responsibility because of the position that you have. You have a responsibility. And he says, 
he asked that famous question, who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And he says, deliverance will come. God's going to preserve his people. But God has put you in this position for this time. And if you don't do your role, you will be destroyed. The people of Israel will still be preserved. Preservation is going to come from somewhere. But it seems clear that God has intended for it to come through you. But there is that question. Who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And it seems clear when we look at this situation. (laughs) The enemy certainly knew that the people of Israel were there for this time and this was their season. And God knew it seems like the only ones who didn't know were the children of Israel themselves. The enemy clearly knew. And I'm going to tell you, the struggles that we fight in our lives with spiritual enemies and with perceived enemies sometimes that aren't so spiritual but are very physical, um, those things are caused, the spiritual battles that we fight many times are a result of the enemy bluffing his way into intimidation. He is saying things, what Brother Morgan said this when he was here, he said that the the enemy whispered to you, I'm going to kill you. And he said, the Lord kind of reminded him and thought about Job and the enemy having to get permission to even afflict Job. And it dawned on Brother Morgan, he said, if you could kill me, you already would have. So the very fact that you're telling me you're going to kill me means you can't. And there's a lot of times the enemy will whisper in your ear, and I'm going to tell you something, if he's threatening and he's intimidating and he's whispering in your ear, he's bluffing because if he could do those things, he would just be doing them. He wouldn't be talking about it. And so we have to realize where, like the children of Israel, it's the same way with Gideon when they sent the spies out and they went down and they overheard the one person saying in their tent to the other I had a dream and there was this barley loaf that came rolling down the hill and it wiped out the whole encampment and his buddy in the tent said oh it's nothing but the sword of Gideon and of the Lord the enemy a lot of times has a clearer view of the way things really are we allow ourselves to be distracted and kept away from these things but I'm telling you the Lord has a way of bringing victory from unlikely sources and in unlikely places we just have to learn to trust him. And she said to him, she said to these men, we know that Yahweh is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. What did James say? The devils believe and tremble. (laughs) They have a clear revelation of who he is. And our lives have to be characterized by that same revelation that we have with us, the one who has all power and authority in heaven and in earth, and that he works on our behalf. And as long as we're here, he's got us here for a reason and a purpose. He's working all of that out. So she gets bold, verse 12, and says, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness that you will also show show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Two pieces to this. First of all, she says, I'm preserving you 
I'm saving you alive and I want something in return. Now, she didn't ask for money. She didn't ask for fame. She didn't. What she asked for was, I preserve you. You preserve my family. And those, those spies a little bit later said, okay, it's, it's life for life. You preserved us. We'll preserve you. But notice, it was not for herself personally only. It was for her family. Save my father's house. I'm going to tell you tonight, the decisions that we make and the way that we live our lives, no man is an island. We are all connected. And the decisions that we make and the, the, the things that we allow to happen in our lives or the, the, um, the choices that we make, the places that we go, the activities that we partake of, these things will affect our whole family. Somebody said, the things you do in moderation, your children will take to an extreme. What you allow today, your children will take and they'll think that's normal and they'll amplify it. We have to be careful to establish in our homes and in our lives. And Brother Landon has been talking about this, about the importance of the home and family and the way that the, 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 way that the enemy would like to disrupt and destroy families. If you think about what's going on in our world today, pastor preached about it Sunday morning about that sin would appear as sin. The agendas that are being pushed, they are direct attack against two things that are sacred. First of all is the image of God. Man was created in the image of God. The agenda of this world is to attack that image and bring confusion about the image of God, about what we are, our identity, who we are. And the other part is, goes right along with it. It goes to the destruction of the family. The union of a husband and a wife is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. That's why I say this is sacred things. First of all, it's an attack on the image of God. And secondly, upon the family, which is founded upon this image or uh, a an object lesson about the relationship between Christ and his church. And those are the two things that are being attacked most heavily. Stop and think about all the other kinds of institutions that could be, that could be attacked. Why these so prominently? I think it's that very reason right there. And we don't exist in isolation. I mean, even the Geneva Convention, war crimes... To put someone in isolation for an extended period of time is a war crime. Why is that? Because there is something that is in our nature that must have in order for there to be healthy psychological health, mental health. We have to interact with people. We have to be connected to each other. And yet the enemy comes spiritually and is, is deciding and desiring to divide and to conquer. And Rahab was smart enough to say, save my father's house. Because she knew that request would also get her, but it's going to get everybody else that she cares about. Everybody else that's connected to her. Notice the other thing that she said. She said, give me a true token. What she's saying to those guys is, look, your lives are in jeopardy and you will say anything to get out of here. You will say anything to get me to help you. But this is going to take more than lip service. 
This is more than just you nodding your head saying, oh yeah, yeah, we'll take care of you. It's going to all be okay. She said, no, I want a, I want a sign. I want a true token. And in fact, what she was asking for was not unlike something that would be shared at the formation of a covenant. This was the biblical or the, the kind of the language of those cultures in that day that there were covenants that were made. Each party would have obligations and if they met those obligations, then the other party would reciprocate and when they established this covenant, there would be some token, there would be some sign. It's the same word that is used when the Lord says to Noah, I'll make a covenant with you, I promise, I'll never destroy the world with water again. And the rainbow was a token of that covenant. When he made his covenant with Abraham, the circumcision was a token of that covenant. When uh, that word appears time and time again in scripture, and what she was saying to those spies was, I don't want something casual I need you to give me a true token that what you're telling me is really going to come to pass. It reminds me of the story of the Shunammite woman where they had built a room for the prophet and they had shown kindness to the prophet. So the prophet asked the servant, says, what should we do for this woman? She's been very kind to us, made us this comfortable place to stay. What should we do? And There's a few conversations back and forth. Finally, the servant says, well, they don't have any children. So he calls the woman and the prophet says to her, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. And you know what she said? Don't lie to me. Don't play with me. Is what she was really saying. Because for her, that that was an issue that no doubt had been at the forefront of her mind for many years. Something that she greatly desired, and yet at that point in her life, she did not have children. So really what she was telling the prophet was, don't play with me. If you're not serious, don't be talking like this. Because I can't handle the emotion. I can't handle being lifted up with great high hopes only to have them dashed again. I've been through that roller coaster too many times before. And it seems like what Rahab was saying to these spies is, I know how men are. I know the promises that men make and I know the disappointment that comes when man doesn't keep his promise. But what I'm promising, what I'm telling you is I have helped you. I want you to give me a true token, something that I can hold on to and something that will bind you to the promise that you're going to make to me tonight. That is not unlike our relationship with the Lord. And we could probably spend two or three weeks right here just talking about the fact that the Lord has given to us a token. And there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different lenses that we could examine this token that the Lord has given to us, whether it be um, biblical truth or the new birth experience, specifically the promise of water baptism. But see what happens if you read on down, she let those men out the window through that Through the window, her house was on the wall. (laughs) The Lord had all of this worked out, just providentially. He let her down, or she let those men down using this scarlet rope that she lowered them down the wall. And the spies said, take that rope 
and bind it in your window. That's the token. It's kind of interesting that the rope was the means whereby they were saved. And they said, now keep the rope there and it will be the means whereby you are saved. That token of the covenant that was made between them. If you will keep your obligations, you won't talk about where we were. You won't tell anybody our business. If this token winds up, remains in your window, when we come here, we will rescue you. It's a token of the agreement that we are making together tonight. There was already salvation in the rope. (laughs) The rope was strong enough to let two men down out of her window. And they said, now, that was strong enough for us. You need to trust it for yourself. Put it in the window. And the Lord has given to us promises that have salvation borne up in them as well. And I'm going to say something right here. You know, sometimes in our world, it's popular to be casual. I don't want to focus on doctrine People say, you know, doctrine divides. I don't want... The Lord said that he is one who separates. And our desire to serve the Lord has to be primary in our lives. It has to be top priority. Acts chapter 17, there was a description of the Bereans, the disciples at Berea. Acts 17, 11 says, these were more noble, the Bereans, than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. There was a seriousness about what God had given them that was foremost prominent in their mind. And I'm going to say there's sometimes maybe a, in our culture, as I said, there's a tendency to say, well, if you just, if you go to church, it's good enough. This one, some choose to be this, some choose to be that. I'm going to tell you it's important what thus saith the Lord. And we better find ourselves in the book. You know, have you ever, Have you stopped to think about this? The carefulness with which the Lord wrought our salvation? All the prophecies of the Old Testament that prophesied the Messiah was coming and that Jesus would come and he would fulfill every one of those. And that even in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel appears and talks to Joseph there is this thing that says that all things might be fulfilled was talking about his birth. And then when he is at his baptism with John the Baptist, he says that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And when he came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, it was that all things might be fulfilled. And when he was on the cross, that all things might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. We serve a God who is careful about the details. Even in the life of this man, Christ Jesus, from birth to death, there was time after time after time where that all things must be fulfilled or that all things would be fulfilled. And we're just going to walk in casually and say, I love the Lord. I know I'm saved. 
I think we better be searching the scriptures daily whether those things are so. That Rahab, (laughs) the instruction from those spies was that she bind that cord in the window. Those spies didn't say, just hang it out the window. Just lay it there and if we see it, then we'll we'll do whatever needs to be done. Just, just make sure it's somewhere in your house. They were very specific. You have to bind this in the window. You've got to make sure it is secured in the window. Now, they were the ones being lowered down. I'm sure they had an interest when they were being lowered down to know that it was bound in the window. But actually for her... It was much more important that it be bound in the window because all of the city of Jericho was going to be destroyed and only the place where that cord was. It harkens back to the Passover. You better put that blood on the doorpost and you better strike it across the top and there better be blood there and keep all of your family inside because when I pass by, I'm not going past that blood. But on the outside, and it's the same instruction they give to her, keep your family inside the house. If they go out, their blood is on their own hands. We make no promises to anybody that is outside. But inside the house, where the scarlet rope is bound in the window, we promise safety will be there. It's amazing when you think about it. Scripture said the wall fell flat. Her house was on top of the wall. I don't know how all of this worked. Scripture does say, Joshua chapter 6, that Joshua sent those two spies. Those two, they knew where it was. Joshua was aware of the covenant that had been made. He sent those two spies. He said, go and get her. They went. They found the house where the scarlet rope was and the rescue was made. It's serious business. God has a way of bringing victory from unusual places and we have to trust him in unusual places and unusual ways. But when the instruction is bind that rope in the window, we better have the window with a bound rope available. Amen. Why don't we stand together tonight? The Lord is so good to us in providing us a way of escape and making these things available to us. But we have to learn to trust him. (laughs) Just think about this. Here's Rahab, the harlot in Jericho. Can you conceive in your mind, in our way of thinking, anybody further from the favor of God? And yet, who shows up on her doorstep but two spies come to lay out the, spy out the land and find the best way to destroy and overtake her city. And yet when they get together, what comes out of it is salvation, not only of the men, but also of Rahab. And if you read over in Joshua chapter 6, they took her and her family and she lived in Israel. The writer of Joshua said, said, even unto this day. Like you early readers, you will know this. You know who Rahab is. She lives here even today. God gave her a new address. 
But even more than that, Matthew chapter 1, she is included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She is a grandmother of King David. Only God could orchestrate something like that. Only God could do that. There is no telling what the Lord has in store for us if we can learn to trust him. Circumstances seem so counter to anything fruitful. (laughs) And yet God sent two spies into the city of Jericho to rescue King David's grandmother. (laughs) What an amazing thing to recognize. This is why the psalmist would write in uh, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 118. He says, this shall be written for the generation to come and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. There's some things, decisions that we make now that are for generations to come. If the Lord tarries, decisions we make now will outlive us. Now you think, well, I have no heritage in the church. My, my daddy wasn't in the church. My grandpa wasn't in the church. If the Lord tarries, maybe you're the one that they all point back to. That says, grandpa made a decision to live his life according to the will of God and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm thankful because in my family, three or four generations back, some decisions were made. And I have been blessed by those decisions. The thing that that helps us today is we recognize I can be a blessing to people I will never meet. Somebody said, well, what's the thing? What's the best day to plant a tree? 20 years ago was the best time to plant a tree. The second best time is today. And, and our, maybe it's an expression of uh, maturity or something to recognize that as the saying goes, some men plant trees they will never sit in the shade of. We worship and praise a God so that those that come long after us will sit in the shade of trees that we planted and decisions that we made that bear fruit in ages and ages to come. See, people remember that the Lord said he would visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. But we stop reading there and we don't read the next verse that says, but I will show mercy unto thousands of those that keep my commandments. Thousands, not thousands of people, folks, thousands of generations. I will visit the iniquity unto the third or fourth generation, but I will show mercy unto thousands of generations of them that keep my commandments. What a heritage, what what a blessing that, that Rahab made because she took those spies in, she treated them kindly, and then she grabbed them by the lapels and said, do not leave me here. What a great God we serve. Let's ask the Lord to bless tonight. Lord, we're so grateful for the promises that you have given to us. And we cannot fathom, Lord, what your ultimate purpose is, even in our own lives, much less any generations to come. But we know from your word, Lord, that if we can learn to trust you, 
if we can yield ourselves to you, if we will bind these things upon our hearts and upon our hands and upon our minds, that you, Lord, will impart blessing to us, that you will protect us and that you will keep us and you will preserve us in a day that is untoward, Lord. It is counter to everything that it seems that you would be pleased with. And yet, Lord, there is a remnant that you're willing and able and seeking to rescue. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice and to respond and to learn to trust you that we can hear your voice in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't we offer the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight and thank him for his goodness. Hallelujah. Amen. Greet one another. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Keep our announcements in mind. And we look forward to seeing you. Lord bless you.